You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Each of us who've trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we've been appointed as ambassadors. He's given us the ability to be ambassadors. He's given to every believer a wonderful privilege and a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel of grace. We have this wonderful availability, but sometimes fear is a real obstacle in our life. Sometimes fear is a real obstacle that we can't get by. It's interesting that even the Apostle Paul experienced fear in witnessing. All Christians are called by God to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In today's message, Pastor Dave teaches you that doing that is easier said than done. When the message you preach is not received, it can be easy to give up. But remember, your job is not to make them believe, but to deliver the message. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 17 as he begins his message. Win some, lose some. Well, back in November of 2006, a couple months after Hurricane Katrina, I was deployed to New Orleans as part of the Billy Graham Evangelical Association and part of their rapid response team. My role down there was to be a chaplain. Each day, the group that we were with would receive an assignment and we would go into the city and we would minister to those we came in contact with. At the end of every day, as the team filled out an activity sheet, we answered these questions. How many people did you pray with? How many people made rededications to Jesus Christ? And how many people made first-time decisions for Jesus Christ? There were four of us on our team, our specific team. There were about five or six teams in the the, uh, deployment at that time. There were four of us. So each day, we would pray with eventually dozens of people and dozens of hurting individuals, and we would speak to them about the love of Jesus Christ. The first day we got there, we were assigned to City Park. There was this great big distribution center there, and it was put on by no less the people called the Wings of Love. And the distribution center was called the Good News Distribution Center. It was great. Anyhow, they had in that anything that you would think of that you would need for the necessities of life. They had all sorts of hot food, they had all sorts of canned goods, they had all sorts of clothing, and they had all sorts of things. I'm sure if you've been involved, like Dottie, or if you've been involved around here, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen these type of of distribution centers. Our job was to supply the spiritual need. Our job was to talk to these people, to listen to them, to help them, to talk about Christ, to see what their needs were. We gave out water bottles, we fed people meals, we gave out clothing, and we never ceased to pray with individuals. We spoke to over 100 people that day from not only New Orleans, but from many, many states in the Union. In fact, I even met Moses. He happened to be from Ethiopia. I went, whoa, Moses, I thought you were dead. Anyhow, we spoke of these people. We spoke to these people. We spoke of Jesus. At the end of our first day, we went to our debriefing session, which is when all the, all the chaplains sit around and you talk about your day. It's a way of us to 
talk about what we saw because it's horrific. And if you don't talk about it, if you don't come up and share with that, you carry that. And, and, and it can be overbearing. But at the end of the first day, we filled out our sheet and we gave it to our chaplain leader and he was looking at our totals, our tally sheet. And he said, you mean you prayed with over 100 people and no one accepted Christ? You mean you prayed with, with over 100 people and you never, ever led anyone to Jesus? I was getting a little nervous. I think, well, we did something wrong. What's going on here? Maybe we did something wrong. Maybe we don't want what we're doing until the guy said, that's about normal. We looked at my side relief. I said, normal? He says, yeah, it's quite normal. In fact, I looked at our daily sheets. I still have them. I looked at our daily sheets, and that week we prayed with almost 1,000 people. We talked with and prayed with almost 1,000 people, giving out water, giving out spiritual guidance, giving out Bibles and those kind of lives. And of that 1,000 people, one person rededicated their life to Christ, and one person accepted Christ. But we comforted a lot of people. We shared the love of Christ with a lot of people. I know we planted many, many different seeds when we shared Jesus with them. How many of you have ever heard this baseball cliche? You win some, you lose some, some are rained out, but you got to suit up for all of them. Sounds a little bit like life, doesn't it? Well, when we look at today's scriptures and today's verses, I'm going to apply this old cliche to these verses. In today's text, we see the results of Paul's speech to these philosophers in Athens. This speech that he made to the Council of Religion and Education. And because of Paul's meager harvest, because of the small numbers of people that have accepted Christ after his speech, many, many people consider this speech a failure. They consider this speech a failure, but I disagree wholeheartedly. Because I believe that if only one person hears the gospel and accepts it's a glorious day and there's rejoicing in heaven. And we're not to be worried about numbers on our belt. Numbers of those people that we can say, look, this many people accepted the Lord. Paul came to Athens, you remember, after being chased out of Berea. In fact, he came by himself. He left Timothy and he left Silas in Berea. And Paul's spirit was provoked when he saw all the idols that were worshipped by the Athenians that lined the streetways. He reasoned with them in the synagogue, and then he went to the marketplace where he met these two competing philosophical groups. And they thought that he was proclaiming foreign gods because he was talking about Jesus and he was talking about the resurrection. They thought the resurrection was a name for a foreign god because in, in the Greek word is Anastasius. These philosophical groups wanted to hear more about Paul and this new doctrine that he was teaching, so they, invite, he, they invited him. They invited him to the council to the Aeropagus, to Mars Hill. And he, he might dis, dis, distribute this new doctrine to those that are gathered there. They were wondering what's going on. We spoke at length last week about Paul's speech and that those who had gathered. As Paul was walking through Athens and looking at all these idols, he came upon this one altar that was very, very encouraging to him. On it was the inscription, to the unknown God. Well, Paul used that, and he made common ground with the philosophers and with those gathers to talk about Jesus Christ. He said, you're religious. In fact, you're very religious. Look at all these gods you have. Look at all these idols and all these altars you have. You're a very religious people. But unfortunately, friends, you're a little ignorant. You may be worshiping these gods, but you're not worshiping the one true living God. So Paul then decides to introduce them to the one true living God. 
Remember, he talked about God creator, the greatness of God. He talked about God's goodness, the providing God. He talked about God's government. He's our ruler. And he talked about God's glory. He's our father. And finally, he led them to God's grace, Jesus Christ, our Savior. His sermon ended abruptly, though. As we read last week in Acts 30 and 31, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. Paul now introduces these men to Jesus Christ. He introduces them to our Savior and says to the guys, hey guys, you may have lacked knowledge, you may have been ignorant, and God put up with your ignorance for a while, but now it's time for repentance. Repentance has come. Remember our definition of repentance. We said repentance simply means to change your mind. He's telling these philosophical leaders, change your mind about God. Change your mind about the true God and worship the one true living God. Paul says, worship him through the one, the man, Paul says, who will judge at God's appointed day because God has ordained him and God raised him from the dead. We know this man that Paul was talking about is Jesus Christ. We know that God raised him from the dead through the scriptures. We also know through the scriptures that God has appointed Jesus to be the judge. He will be the judge one day. And we find that in John 5, when it says, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. Jesus Christ is the judge and will judge. So I feel what Paul was saying here is, hey guys, I've explained to you who God is through creation. I've explained to you through his goodness and through his government and through his glory. You don't have an excuse now. I've explained to you who God was and now has come the time for you to repent. It becomes time for you to repent because this is God's will for your life. Something happens to them when they speak, when these guys speak of the resurrection. Something happens to them because they seem to cut them off. And most scholars think that this sermon was just beginning. It wasn't the end. Most scholars think that this was just the beginning, but regardless of whether it was the actual ending or not, the council heard enough, and they reacted in different ways. And what I want to talk about today are the three different ways in which they reacted to this message that Paul gives them. Look at verse 32 as we begin. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Wearsby said this, it was the doctrine of the resurrection that most of the members of the council could not accept. To a Greek, the body was only a prison, and sooner a person left his body, the happier he would be. Why raise a body and live in it again? And why would God bother to be a personal judgment on each man? This kind of teaching was definitely incompatible with Greek philosophy. They believed in in, in, in immortality, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. This just shows me their complete ignorance of who God is. This shows me their complete ignorance to God's word. But we look at these verses and we can see the first two responses to Paul's message. The first response is mocking. They mocked Paul. The Greek word for mocking is kiluadzo. It means to jeer or to throw out your lip. They mocked him. Huh? You ever say something to someone and they go, huh? Little kids are good at that. Kids are good at throwing their lip out, like, what? They make this weird face. In Webster's 1828, mocking simply means to imitate with contempt, to mimic in a state of derision, to make sport of, or to jest. They mocked him. 
They jested with him. Who do you think you are talking about this thing? I think it's the thought of being marked that scares us all when we get ready to witness. You ever get ready to witness to your family? I know I'm going to witness to my family today. I'm going to witness to my friends. I'm going to witness to that coworker standing right beside me. And all of a sudden you think, oh, and you get knots in your stomach thinking, what if they mock me? What if they ridicule me? What if I lose their friendship? What if they hurt me? I want to be a witness to God, but what about all these things? And then you start thinking of the feel of failure. What if I talk about Jesus and they don't accept? What I, maybe I don't know what I'm supposed to say. How are they going to respond? I have a fear of not being able to answer their questions. What if they answer me, ask me questions I can't answer? Do I really want to intrude in their private lives? I'm afraid about this. Or worst of all, I'm going to say something wrong. All these add up to fears when we come to witness people. Now, come on. If you've ever witnessed, I'm sure you probably have felt these fears, maybe not in such ground stage, but you felt these fears a little bit when it comes to witnessing. Each of us who've trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we've been appointed as ambassadors. He's given us the ability to be ambassadors. He's given to every believer a wonderful privilege and a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel of grace. We have this wonderful availability, but sometimes fear is a real obstacle in our life. Sometimes fear is a real obstacle that we can't get by. It's interesting that even the Apostle Paul experienced fear in witnessing. He says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. Every Christian who has ever witnessed has a problem with fear from one time or the other. Maybe you do. If there's any comfort, you're not alone. Look back in history and look back through your Bible Many, many people who were given God's command to go tell somebody something had fear. They were all afraid to tell and bring the message of God to a dying world. But God doesn't accept fear as an excuse. Listen to what he tells Isaiah. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? Are you my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no rock. I know not one. Isaiah 44, 8. Guzik said, knowing these truths about God is only good for winning theological game quizzes or quiz games. When we really know who God is and his great wisdom and authority, it erases all our fear. Do you know who God is today? Can you trust in him and stand in his glory and stand in his grace and know that the fear is gone because he's removed it from us? We've said this before. God will never ask you to do something that he has not empowered you to do. God will never ask you to witness to a person. God will never ask you to go up to a place of disaster and minister to people if he has not given you the power to do so. When Christ gave the Great Commission, he reminded us that we go forth, not in our own power, not in our own strength, but Christ's strength. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus reminds us that he has all power. Praise the Lord. And he is always with us through the Holy Spirit. Remember last week when we spoke about Psalm 139? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You're everywhere. You're omnipresent, Lord. Even when we began our study in the book of Acts, we said that the whole theme of the book of Acts were the disciples witnessing Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the whole theme of the book of Acts. 
In fact, in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said to them, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then he went on to say, in the key verse of the entire book of Acts, he says in verse 8 of chapter 1, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then he ended it there. I was talking to Lou and Ruth before um, service today. We talked about all the wonderful, wonderful treasures that we sent off to down up here by Fortescue. And we were talking about how we wanted to help the local people, how we wanted to help those in need around here, because this is our Jerusalem. Lower Township is our Jerusalem. When you get out towards Vineland, that may be Judea and Samaria. When you get out near Down, that might be even other things. Forget River, Pleasant Point, those are the outer points of the world. They're the, end, you know, they're the end of the earth. But we minister to our own people, and we keep on ministering and throwing away. When, when John and Cheryl go to, go, to, go to Panama, surely that seems like the end of the earth to most of us. You know, but, but they're taking the gospel message from their Jerusalem, and they're taking it out to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're being called to do. That's the charge that the church has been given. But we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we try, we're going to fail miserably. D.L. Moody said, it's easier to hear without ears or breathe without a breath than living the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We must allow him to help us overcome our fears. We must set our hearts and minds on winning those for Christ, especially in these last days. Have you read a newspaper? Have you listened to a news broadcast of what's happening over in Israel today? How they are on the brink of war. Is this the war? We don't know. We're to be looking and we're to be watching for signs. We need to win souls for Christ. We need to get people to come into his kingdom. We need to be people to be born again. We have the message. It becomes now a matter of life and death. We have that. Those that mock Paul were clearly not interested in the truth, and unfortunately, you're going to receive this response when you witness of Jesus Christ. People are going to mock you. They're going to mock you. They're going to make faces at you. We have to be ready for this, but we can't let this prevent us from being the ambassadors God has called us to do or to be. Yes, some mock Paul. And the other response is, some said, we'll hear you again on this matter. This is the second of the three responses. Have you ever witnessed to anybody or been around talking about your Christianity and somebody says to you, well, that's all fine and good for you, but that's not for me. I was reading Pastor Chuck and he said that I think, he said, I think that one of the worst attitudes is that of complacency. A person who is really upset and yelling at you because you've witnessed to them is far closer to the Lord's and salvation than the person who says, I don't want any part of it, or has a complacent and apathetic attitude. We need to be aware of that. That complacent attitude towards Christ is one of the most difficult things to do, deal with. You want a person to get stirred up. You want a person to get angry at you when you preach the gospel or talk about them. You want them, their hearts to be angry and, and thinking about that. So, Paul found mocking. He found complacency. The council didn't take the word of God seriously. These folks who said, we'll hear you again on that matter, they didn't want to hear him again. They just wanted to get rid of him. They just wanted to close the door in his face. We don't want to hear you again in that matter. We just want to get rid of you. Come back tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, come back another time. 
You know, the Bible warns us about those who continue to put off God's call upon their lives. The Bible says, your hearts will become hardened. Your hearts will become hardened, not only for salvation, but how about some Christians who have the call of God's on their life and they keep putting it off? They keep putting it off for another time. They keep wandering around, wandering around. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Instead of sitting before God listening and waiting for him to show them what he wants them, what them to do, they can't figure out what they want to do. What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? And what happens is they become hardened to God's voice. They become hardened to the things that God has chosen to do. Daddy said she just said the Lord showed me I should go, and she went. If we sit there and continually pray about it and 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 pray about it, years go by and we're still praying about it. God gives you a call. He's going to empower you to send you and to get you going. The writer of Hebrews clearly says in Hebrews 4.7 when he quotes Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Enter into the rest given to us by the Lord through Jesus Christ. Don't procrastinate. And that's what the council was doing. Some of the council was procrastinating. They're putting off a decision for Christ and that is a dangerous place to be. Look what happens next. The very next verse, very small words. So Paul departed from among them. He didn't argue with them. He just left. Listen to what R. Kent Hughes says. When men were angry with Paul, he argued back with them. When he was persecuted, he will be returned to the place of persecution. But... For intellectual flippancy and moral dishonesty, he had no stomach. These men rejected the message, and they mocked the messenger. These men were apathetic towards the gospel. They were proud. They were sophisticated. They thought themselves to be very wise and intelligent. They didn't take to heart the humbling message that the gospel brings because of their pride, because of their wisdom and their knowledge, supposedly. What did Paul call them? Ignorant without knowledge. They had no knowledge of God. But this non-committal attitude is probably one of the worst. Paul had no further words to say. He wasn't going to cast his pearls before swine. He said, I've given you the message. I've borne witness of it. It's yours. You're responsible. See ya. So some mocked Paul, and some were apathetic to Paul's message. But there was a third response, the response everyone wants. Some believed. Some accepted Christ as their Savior and were born again. We read that in verse 32. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Aeropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. It was a very, very small harvest. But praise God for the small harvest. Praise God for the small harvest. So if you look at our baseball cliche and you apply it, some believe. Some accepted Paul's message and became Christian. So he won some. And he lost some to the world, and they mocked him. And some were rained out. They were apathetic, and they wanted to hear him later. They didn't make a decision. But he suited up. He witnessed to all of them. Everyone heard the message of God. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. 
If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live! So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Thank you.